You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Seven. Andrew's computer made small repetitive pinging sounds as he slowly cruised through the streets. The cat moved fast and seemed to know exactly where to go. Sometimes it would run behind a block of houses, cross a street, and dart over an open area, which made Andrew think of a driver trying to shake a tail off. Fortunately for him, he didn't have to worry about losing the trail. The GPS transmitted the cat's position with an accuracy of five feet. He could run to Los Angeles and back and he still would be able to find it. It didn't seem to head towards L.A., however. He had followed it to North Beach, where it now seemed to slow down and move more carefully. The streets were filled with people enjoying the summer evening. Andrew would have loved to roll the window down and get some air inside his car, but with the computer beeping, didn't think he could do it without attracting attention. Finally, it seemed the cat had stopped moving and came to a relative rest. Andrew checked the map and drove a few hundred feet forward until he was close to the signal. I might have known, he mumbled to himself. The signal came from an old, good-looking house on Columbus Avenue, only a few blocks from the City Light Bookstore, which Andrew knew was a mecca for old hippies and poets. The building had two floors, with a store in the bottom half and obviously a residence on top. It looked fairly worn down, but still sturdy. Written in faded letters on the store window was, Bacam. Magic, tricks, and wonder. A magic shop, Andrew said. He had not had much experience with magic yet, unless you counted the soul-stealing demon that had possessed his sister. He was still new at this game. Andrew got out of his car, put his regular gun in his belt behind his back, and let his jacket cover it. The dart gun he had used for injecting the GPS chip was now in his shoulder holster, this time loaded with a dart of animal tranquilizer supposedly strong enough to knock out a horse in a few seconds. Andrew would have preferred something even more powerful, but Jim had insisted they take no chances. We don't have a license to kill, you know, he had told Andrew. We are working with the SFPD because we fly under the radar. If we start shooting people left and right, they're not going to be happy. Keep it for emergencies. Andrew crossed the street and walked up to the magic shop. The door to the store was locked, but he could see lights in the windows on the second floor. The magician was home. He paused for a moment, wondering how to best proceed. He didn't have a search warrant and no official jurisdiction, which meant he couldn't just kick the door in and arrest the guy. Perhaps a more subtle approach was required. Slowly he walked along the building, until he found an alley leading between it and the next building. The alley led to a small backyard with a few trees, a pair of lawn chairs, and a couple of trash cans. Andrew wrinkled his nose. The yard smelled strongly of incense, but the smell did not seem to carry outside it. Scent magic, he mused, as he looked at the building's back. Several windows on the second floor were open, but on the bottom there was only the store's back door, it was filled with long scratches, 
and Andrew knelt down to examine them. Claw marks. I guess the cat is too big to get its own cat door. He looked up the wall and saw a drain pipe snaking its way from the roof down the wall. It looked sturdy enough and ran close to one of the illuminated windows. Andrew took hold of the pipe and lifted himself with his arms, trying to not use his feet. He wanted to be as quiet as possible, and he was used to climbing rocks. A few moments later, he put his feet on the small ledge next to the open window. He was almost afraid to breathe when he heard voices inside. One was a man, one was a woman. Both had definite British accents. I'm very pleased with this, the man's voice said. It will make an excellent focus for the spell. It looked pretty. I thought you'd like it, the woman's voice replied. But it's not as shiny as mine. It doesn't have to be. It's not the shine that's important, but the cut of the stone. This one will make a great mind-lock charm as long as we change the color. We can't have Mr. Brown's wife receive a stolen necklace, can we? I guess not. What color should we make it, then? What do you think? Blue, father. Bright blue. The woman's voice sounded excited. Blue it shall be. The man spoke a few words in a harsh language Andrew didn't understand and heard the sound of clapping hands. Wonderful! Such a pretty color! Andrew dared to peek through the window. He wanted to catch a glimpse of this. The room looked to him like a study or library, filled with books, magazines, and a large desk. Along one wall was a working table covered with assorted containers, bottles, and jars, which made Andrew think of a Chinese pharmacy. In a chair in the corner sat a handsome man in his sixties, wearing an old-style smoking jacket and silk pants. He had silver hair, which looked too perfect to be real, combed back from his forehead. In his hand was a necklace Andrew recognized from earlier in the store. It had been priced somewhere around $6,000. Next to the chair stood a young woman in a kimono. She was probably around twenty years old, but the way she moved made her look younger. Energetic, slender, and with a long mane of light blonde hair moving when she shook her head. She looked like a fawn from a fairy tale. Around her neck was a Swarovski collar. Andrew's eyes narrowed. The girl and the cat? Could it be? Was she a were-cat? Did something like that even exist? In any case, he had heard enough. He reached into his jacket, pulled the tranquilizer gun free, and took a deep breath. The sound was not loud, but apparently the woman heard it. Father, there is someone outside the window. I can hear him breathing. Andrew swung his legs inside the window and slid to the floor in what he felt was a fairly graceful move. That's right, there's someone by the window. You two are both under arrest for grand larceny. The man didn't move from the chair, but focused his eyes on Andrew. Andrew felt the strength in the gaze hit him like a sledgehammer, but kept his focus on the woman. Put your hands up, both of you. I'm going to call the cops and we're going to have a little trip to... That was as far as he got. The woman moved against him with a speed that was incredible. Her body seemed to stretch and move under the kimono as she practically leaped at him, hit him square in the chest and forced him back against the window frame. 
He staggered on his feet, trying to maintain his balance as he felt the open space of the window behind him. He stuck his left arm out, hitting the edge of the window and stopping himself from going headfirst out of it. The woman gave a snarling sound as she scratched at his chest with her fingers, and suddenly they were no longer fingers but paws, with claws, shredding his shirt and skin. Andrew gave a howl of pain and brought his right hand up, pressing the tranquilizer gun against the body of the creature in front of him. He pushed the trigger, and a small hissing sound came from the gun. The dart hit the woman, who now looked more like a half-cat, half-woman cartoon character, in the stomach, and she gave a pain sound. She pulled back from him and groped for the dart. Her fingers were gone, replaced by paws, and she could not get a grip on the dart protruding from her skin. Slowly, she slumped to the floor, her eyes closing, and her body relaxing as she slid into unconsciousness. Andrew panted, trying to compose himself. He looked down at himself, trying to assess the damage to his stomach. It looked superficial, but hurt like hell. He dropped the now-empty gun and grabbed for his more lethal weapon, pointing it at the man. He was still sitting in the chair, but now looked like he was getting ready to rain down fire and brimstone with a word and a gesture. I would be very careful what kind of magic you're considering using, my friend, Andrew said, straightening up and leaning a little on the work table. He made his voice tough. She's just sleeping for a few hours. This one will hurt a lot more if I have to shoot. The man nodded and seemed to relax. All right, I give up. Just don't hurt her. She's going to be fine. It's just a sedative. Andrew spotted a box of tissues and grabbed a handful with one hand, while still keeping the gun trained on the man. He dabbed them against his stomach, wiping the blood away. He had been lucky, he saw. The cuts were not deep. The claws had not been all the way out of her paws yet. I suggest you sit tight, and I'm going to call the cops. They're going to have a nice little cell for you downtown, and... Well, honestly, I am not sure what we are going to do with her. Andrew looked at the sleeping woman's body. We can't very well lock her up in the zoo. Indeed you can't. Please, sir, can I explain things to you? Maybe we can come to some kind of understanding. I would really appreciate not having to involve the police in this matter. It could make my life exceptionally difficult. Andrew nodded. Prison tends to do that. All right, explain away. I'm in no hurry. The man let a hand run through his hair, as if thinking on how to begin. He reached for a small table next to him and took a teacup from it. He took a sip and cleared his throat. Can I make her comfortable first? Sure, but she's not going to feel anything. The man got up from his chair and lifted the sleeping girl up in his arms with an ease that surprised Andrew a little. He carried her to a chair and set her down gently, before sitting down again in his own chair. My name is Darcy. I've been a part of this neighborhood for many years, ever since the 1960s, in fact. You keep well? The perks of working with magic. I try to maintain my youthfulness through potions. As I said... I've had this store for many years, and have sold my potions and trinkets to the inhabitants of this city every day. I've always been able to make ends meet and keep myself out of trouble with the wizard's council. 
There's an actual wizard's council? I thought that was just something made up in books. I assure you, it's quite real and quite ruthless. If you do not follow the rules, or if you use your magic in ways they do not approve of, they will make sure you come to a quick and permanent end. One of the rules they usually enforce is to limit the general public's access to magic. I was allowed to have my store, since I mostly sold, shall we say, non-functional items. So because you sold crap, they're okay with it? To put it very simply, yes. I could supply actual magic to wizards and people with connection to the supernatural world, and trinkets to the... the people like me? Hardly. You seem more informed than most. But yes, essentially, normal people. Muggles? Darcy smiled a tired smile. If I had a penny for each time I had heard that. So what happened? My expenses went up. Since 9-11, most of my supplies have to be smuggled into the country from south of the border. My supplies in the Middle East can't travel to meet me. My packages are intercepted by customs as narcotics. I finally found myself unable to make rent or put food on the table. The only way I could think of was to break the rules and sell real spells to people who could pay. Why didn't you just use your magic to, I don't know, make gold or win the lottery? Darcy sighed. If I had used alchemy to create gold, or for that matter scrying to win the lottery, the council would have been on me in minutes. They monitor that sort of magic very closely, making sure no one uses magic to get wealth or power. Too much risk of abuse, or so they say. Okay, back to the point. You sold real spells to muggles, but what does that have to do with the jewelry? Charms work best when cast on objects, as I'm sure you know. It centers the power. A wealthy man can't just make his wife or mistress drink a brown and smelly potion. But if he puts a pair of diamond earrings on her, she will not suspect a thing. I needed jewelry for the spells, but I could not afford to buy them. I did not have the skills or stealth to procure them myself. And I thought for a moment I had reached an impasse. One morning, I found a wild cat going through my trash cans. She had wandered in from the hills, I gather. I caught her, fed her, and then I had an idea. Andrew nodded. You turned her human? Not as easy as that. Feline, as I named her, is neither cat nor human. She is something new something special. I always wanted a family, but in my position it was hard to find the right woman. Giving Feline this gift, I fulfilled my own wish. I got a daughter. So what's the problem? Creating a new life form is not exactly forbidden, but, shall we say, frowned upon amongst the magic community. If it is revealed to them, I would most likely be excluded of any fellowship I have left. Okay, I see your point. What about the girl herself? What will they do to her? Kill her, I imagine. She would be considered an abomination. 
Andrew looked at the girl in the chair. She looked like she was sleeping peacefully now, if you didn't look at her hands. Her lips and eyes were closed, concealing her cat-like features. She actually looked quite beautiful. Look, I'm not here to get anyone executed, but I'm hired to stop the thefts from the jewelry store. Can you pay the guy the money for the jewelry? I wish I could, but the spells don't pay anything near what they would cost to replace. Andrew scratched his head. Look, Mr. Darcy. Wait, seriously? Mr. Darcy, like in the book, Pride and Prejudice? Yes, like the book, Darcy sighed. It was obviously not the first time he'd been asked the question. We don't like to do more damage than good. My agency usually helps people who are in trouble with supernatural things, but I don't see why we couldn't also help the supernatural, um, things. He blushed. I mean, people, sometimes. Why don't we start with returning the loot from tonight, and I'll talk to my partner, see what he thinks. I'd hate to be the cause of your demise. I appreciate that, Darcy said. The girl, Feline, gave a groan and lifted her head. Her eyes opened, and for a moment they were still the bright yellow of a cat, before fading into a soft green. Her paws slowly changed shape again, becoming slender hands. Why did you steal the Swarovski stones along with the real jewels? Andrew said. Because Feline adores them. She loves sparkling things and wearing jewelry. I told her she could take one Swarovski item for herself when she went in to get things for me. Andrew took the necklace and put it in his pocket. I'll return this and see what the jewelry store owner says. Perhaps you guys can make some kind of payment plan. Darcy nodded. It was obvious he didn't have it in him to be a master criminal. Andrew almost felt sorry for him. What happened? Feline said. Her voice was a little groggy. Relax, my darling. The detective and I have decided not to fight. Darcy put a hand on her arm. How are you feeling? Woozy. It should pass in a while, Andrew said. It's a heavy tranquilizer, but it's not made for magical creatures. You should be fine. Feline rubbed her eyes and stretched in a very cat-like gesture. Andrew could not help to look at her. Let me just give my partner a call and see how he wants to take it from here. Andrew pulled out his phone, but before he could press the button, it rang in his hand. He frowned and answered. Jim, I was just about to... There's no time. Jim's voice was almost panting in his ear. You've got to come out here as fast as you can. Abbott's Lagoon, the place where Mercedes had her party, on the double. What happened? Andrew was already on his feet. They've taken her. The damn Indians took Mercedes. Mercedes.